It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me on this Sunday morning in August, time of year when I've said this every year in August, we want to grab a cold drink, lemonade, whatever it might be, beer, whatever it is, and sit under a great big tree and just have life slow down. This doesn't seem to happen that way. Certainly, in the COVID year, it did. Um, glad we're not there again. So as you're sitting on your back porch, you're on a boat or taking a walk in the woods here in the middle of August, it's very hard to believe that the southward migration of birds has already begun. But it has. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about agriculture and birds A number of you have written me in relation to a show I did on the Conservation Reserve Program and other agricultural conservation programs recently, and I thought I would respond. And for those of you I haven't gotten back to yet personally, I promise you I will. Uh, I will get back to you personally, and thank you for contacting me. But here we are in August. We're uh, the, the first, the 7th of August, and the first flyer, the first flights of birds heading south are doing so now as we speak. Blue-winged teal, pintail are both already on the move. We already have blackbirds flocking up, robins, starlings, sparrows. The beginning, as the daylight grows shorter, and for right now it seems like we got plenty of heat and plenty of daylight, birds know it's the time to begin to get ready to pack and move. And the first birds that move are blue-winged teal, and pintail in the waterfowl world, and they are already on their way. Believe it or not, in the next few days, there will be blue-winged teal showing up in the Yucatan. There will be big numbers of of pintails showing up, beginning to show up in the Bear River marshes around Salt Lake, beginning to show up also in the Central Valley of California, and, and also all the way down to Mexico, the Vanguard flight will be underway. So this morning... Uh, I did a show, some of you may recall, a little bit back on Conservation Reserve Program. And what I wanted to do today, as we're having this discussion about food shortages and around the world, potential food shortages, and the price of food, and we're hearing so many in public policy call for planting America. Earl Butts would have said in the early 70s, fence row to fence row. Well, the fence rows are gone. We did that, and it turned out not to work so well. And in the mid-'80s, when we were dealing with plummeting commodity prices, terrible soil erosion, poor water quality, we came up with the Conservation Reserve Program in 1985, which has been the greatest success for conservation of all time. And there there have been as high as 40 million acres a year enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program, and We're down at the lower end now. We're about 25 million acres. We have spent untold billions of dollars, maybe as much as $200 billion since 1985, 
on the Conservation Reserve Program. So you hear about the programs that Congress wants to pass now. On an annual basis, Conservation Reserve Program didn't seem that big. $100 an acre might be the average, and we had 20 million acres under land on conservation. But you do that year after year, and you do that for nearly 40 years, and the number is huge. What we're looking at now in agriculture is we have roughly 90 million acres in corn in America. We have roughly 90 million acres in soybeans. And we've got, depending on the year and things, between 20 and 30 million acres of wheat. So the big three, of which corn and soybeans dwarf everything, amount to about 220 million acres of row crop land in America. That's not including cotton. That's not including rice. And it is including all the produce lands in, in California. But about 220 million acres under what we call traditional row crops. Why do I talk about that? Because today we have about 25 million acres in the Conservation Reserve Program, of which I believe some 8 to 10 million are in timber, have been planted to trees, particularly in the south, reforestation, which is great. So we might be talking about 15 million acres of land that could come back into production. Well, is it worth it? That's, that's the rhetorical question I'm going to I'm asking, and and I hope that in the next few minutes, all of you will come to the same conclusion that I have and so many people that I interact with and work with, it is not worth it. The lands under CRP, Conservation Reserve Program, were the most marginal of farmlands, the lands that were the least productive. In particular, they were the lands along riparian corridors where the whole idea was to get chemicals out of our wetlands get nitrogen and phosphorus out of our rivers, get anhydrous, which is, of course, nitrogen, get it away from, from streams and lakes and potholes, which causes the terrible algae bloom and the poor water quality in the epoxy zone that we have in um, the Gulf of Mexico. So we're talking about 15 million acres of farmland, 15 million acres of the worst farmland. So it's not like it's the best. And we're dealing with 220 million acres under production. So we're talking a little bit over 5% of the farmland is available to come into production if we went back to the Earl Butts motto of fence row to fence row. What would the cost of that be? The cost would be horrific. It would greatly increase flooding. Soil erosion would be absolutely exponentially increased. And water quality would continue to worsen. That's a pretty big three that you don't want to mess with with 25 million acres in riparian areas largely under the Conservation Reserve Program. But let's just say that Congress is, is, as they appear to be, going to do everything they can to get rid of Conservation Reserve Program. We've invested literally hundreds of billions of dollars over the last 35 years in the Conservation Reserve Program. Why would we just give up on it? So the land that's in CRP, let's just say all that came out, the trees are staying in, they're not coming out. Let's say 15 million acres came into production, and I know everybody in agriculture, all my farming friends listening are nodding their heads. That 15 million acres is the poorest quality ground. So it comes out in year one. It's not going to be very productive. The input costs to make it productive are going to be high. To rip up all the grass and to plant soybeans or corn is expensive, and the yields will be nowhere as good 
on that land as they are on the better land. So it's not as though we're going to increase production in the United States by 5 or 6%. We're not even going to come close to that. And it's several years down the road. And several years down the road, I think one has to believe that what we're dealing with in, U- in the Ukraine and supply chain interruptions will be in the rearview mirror and a thing of the past. So the question really is, to every elected representative who's on this bandwagon of get rid of conservation reserve and plant everything we can because we've got to feed the world is, what are you thinking? Have you done any research? Do you understand the conservation consequences of what you're talking about? And do you understand how marginal the impact will be? Oh, I guarantee you, the seed salesman will love it. John Deere will love it. Caterpillar will love it. And all that's great. More equipment will be needed. More seed will be needed. A whole lot more fertilizer will be needed. Roundup ready beans. Monsanto's going to think this is great. Monsanto actually now bear. Everybody in the agro-industrial complex would love to see 10 million or so acres of agricultural land come back into production that's in the Conservation Reserve Program. But they're the only ones who would benefit, and it would be a short-term benefit. And anybody who farmed when we went fence row to fence row and remembers the 1970s knows that the end outcome is going to be terrible. So why are we willing to sacrifice water quality, increase flooding? Why are we willing to do that? And also, why are we willing to give up the conservation benefits that have been so hard-earned under the Conservation Reserve Program, which have made profound economic generation benefits in the rural economies for hunting across America? But the biggest cost to doing this will be the nitrogen loads in our waterways, and I cannot believe there's a person in Congress who thinks we ought to increase the nitrogen loads in our waterways. So... When this comes up for discussion, and it sure is going to, I hope those of you listening will say, as as I've concluded, this makes absolutely no sense. We've got to stop attacking the Conservation Reserve Program. And the best thing we could do is increase the Conservation Reserve Program by getting more marginal lands into conservation programs and out of production, but compensate the landowner for doing so and compensate them at a level that makes sense. I hope that's what we can do. I know we'll talk more about this, but it's one of the cornerstones. If we're going to have successful conservation in America, the Conservation Reserve Program has to be front and center. I'll be back in just a moment with much more of the great outdoors. And when I do, I promised you last week I would talk about small salmon, what that means. You're listening to Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. 
It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And you're just joining me. Happy Sunday to you. And if you're bearing with me, hope you enjoyed the discussion on conservation reserve program and agriculture and economics a little bit. And I'm not an economist, believe me, folks. But it doesn't take a lot for me to figure out that it's a net, big-time net loss if we lose the Conservation Reserve Program. So last week, I said I was going to talk a little bit about small salmon. What does that mean? Well, all across the Pacific Northwest, from Alaska down through Vancouver Island, down into Washington and Oregon, the Chinook salmon are decreasing in size, and it's quite alarming. That means there's something going out in the ocean, going on in the ocean, that is causing the salmon to come back to their natal streams in a smaller size than they historically have. This, is, this has been going on for, for many years. However, it now seems to be accelerating. And I've talked to a number of guides up, at, up all through Alaska, some of the best king salmon guides there are. And they said there's plenty of fish. They're just a lot smaller. And when I was fishing, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, with my daughter off Vancouver Island on the Pacific side, out of Zabellis, we were catching, we caught one king that was in the 24-pound range, but everything else was 8 to 12. Plenty of big fish, I would think, for me. But the guy was kept saying, this is, this is just, this isn't right. That 24-pounder should be 36, and those... 10 to 12 should be 20. He said, over the past half dozen years, we just see smaller and smaller fish. So we know so little about Pacific salmon. We do know two things. Their numbers are declining and their size is declining, which means something is going on with their ecosystem that is not healthy. And and this is particularly true of king salmon. It does not seem to be affecting, as I'm aware of, coho or silver as they're called. It does not seem to be affecting the other salmon species at all, the sockeye don't seem to be in, in lower size weight limits. The chum or pinks, as they call them, aren't. The dog aren't. Um, or the humpies are chum and the, and the dogs are, um, are, are, uh, are not smaller in size. So something's going on with king salmon. And, and hopefully we can figure it out. Because after all, they're called king salmon for a reason. They, they are the king of the ocean when it comes to the salmon species. So we will we'll see what, what happens. But this year, king salmon sizes are down, are down significantly. In the couple minutes I have left, I, I want to talk for just a second about um, beavers. And I've talked about them on and off over the, over the years. But... Beavers have exploded from near extinction. When you read the early accounts of Marquette, Joliet, all the settlers, Lewis and Clark, and anyone you want to read about, they talk about the incredible number of beavers. And, of course, it was the beaver trade that primarily propelled the fur trade across the America West more than any other species. It was beaver. And they were virtually eliminated. Well, today, there are beavers Everywhere. Try canoeing down the Des Plaines River. For those of you in northeastern Illinois, I've done this. You can't. The Des Plaines River is just clogged with beaver dams. Every stream in Illinois has beavers in it. 
It's throughout now the South. In the rice fields in the South, there are beavers. Everywhere you want to go, in the West, you see immense cottonwoods coming tumbling down because of beavers. They, they are like rats. In fact, well, I, they are a rodent. And, and their uh, explosion in population, go to northern Wisconsin and, and, and have a look at the streams that are just absolutely overrun now with beavers. We are back in a point where I guess we must have been pre-settlement when literally there were, there were just beavers everywhere. And because there's so little trapping, there's very little management of beavers. But they are at this point now doing serious, very serious damage to areas in the south, particularly in Mississippi and Arkansas, flooded timber that's supposed to be dry in the summer. Beavers are blocking off the drainages and thousands, tens of thousands of acres have died in recent years. So I'm not, I have no suggestion here. I know that in Illinois, there's a lot of beaver trapping, particularly in farms. Southern Illinois, a lot of places that, that manage for, for waterfowl have to trap beavers or they couldn't manage any of their flood, any of their water control structures. If you're growing rice in, in Mississippi or Arkansas, every day you're trying to manage beavers. But they are, they are transforming the environment. And in, and in doing so, they also were causing an awful lot of, of, un, of damage that people didn't think they could cause. And maybe the poster child of it is, a, is the panther swamp down in Mississippi, which has virtually been killed by beavers. One of the great hardwood forests of the South is, is now just a series of dead timber from beaver lakes. So anyway, beavers are on the march. There are lots of them. And who would have thought that when I started this show on this show 22 years ago, we didn't talk much about beavers. And I guarantee you, 52 years ago, when WGN started the, doing the Great Outdoors show, nobody talked about beavers unless it was, oh, my goodness, did you see a beaver? It would be time to stop doing what you're doing and go and look at it because they were so rare. I'll be back with much more next Sunday morning on the Great Outdoors show. I hope you have a great week in the Great Outdoors. Thanks for being with me. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.